when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Harris, they don't talk. Is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired, and the next week you're going to take another job, and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And So, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy. College football, baby. Yeah, sounds like it's uh, well. Let's not put the cart in front of the horse here. Oh, I put. I'm already there, Mike. <laughs> I'm already there. I thought the NCAA would be the biggest hurdle, honestly. Mm-hmm. I thought they'd be like, well, the team's out in California, you know. But I think, uh, I think this was the biggest hurdle, in my honest opinion. I may be wrong. I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, but I'm pretty excited, Mike. Pretty pumped up. Well, let's uh, let the listeners in on, in case they missed it, the NCAA Division I Council has voted to allow athletes to return to campus starting June 1. Mm-hmm. Now, it's my understanding that the SEC still has to vote on this. They may push it to the 15th, but given the fact the NCAA has voted to approve this, I would imagine the SEC is going to allow this as well, and that vote is expected to come on Friday. So, really good news. We kind of hinted at this on uh, the previous episode. And obviously, you can't have football without the players <laughs> and getting ready. <laughs> so, this is the first major hurdle to making it happen. And that's it's just outstanding news. And again, we continue to trend in the right direction. And that's what we've been saying the whole time. Just wait this sucker out. And it just seems like with each passing day, there's more and more good information coming. Absolutely. And I saw... Uh... Coach Steve Spurrier, not the Spurrier, the other one there in Mississippi State, tweeted out, Mississippi State plans for in-person classroom instruction in fall 2020 semester. So it just, you know, you're starting to get, we talked about this in the last podcast, you know, you get these little pieces, these little nuggets of good news, and it just feels like this engine's starting to starting to fire up. And I think we're going to have college football, Mark. Well, the news, unfortunately, not all great from the NCAA, though. Minor you know, no, got to make reference to this. Nothing to do with, uh, you know, the whether the season will be played or not. But I was really hoping that the NCAA would pass this one-time transfer waiver. And they're pushing that. So they've not totally killed it. But I think because of all this coronavirus stuff and the fears of, you know, what happens if the Pac-12 doesn't play? Or hell, what if 
a certain team doesn't play or just so many unknowns right now. I guess they mm-hmm. decided to push this back so that you don't have every player in a damn conference transferring or <laughs> something like that. So that's potentially bad news for players like Cade Mays and Joey Gatewood, Otis Reese. Uh, Florida had a couple, Justin Shorter and Lorenzo Lagarde. So guys that were hoping to be eligible immediately in 2020, not saying they won't be, but there's not going to be that blanket waiver, one-time waiver given to all transfers. So for these players to be eligible next season, they are going to need their waivers to be approved. And again, not saying that's not going to happen, but mm-hmm. we're leaving it up to the waiver process. And I mean, there's been guys with, you know, sick family members and they don't give it to them. And then there's guys that they're quarterbacks, so they get to go right away. Like it doesn't make any sense. So yeah. we're kind of we're kind of in the fate of the NCAA now for a lot of these transfers. Yeah, I, I, I definitely keep my ears to the ground on that one. And, you know, I still think California things is going to be played out differently. It, it just feels like there's going to be some pressure, you know, to possibly move uh, the, the size. I just can't see the Pac. I can't. Is it Pac-12 now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I, I can't see the Pac-12 just saying, you know what, let's just let's just don't play. You know, I mean, there's, you're talking millions, billions of dollars college football generates a year. So I I just, I don't see it not going, especially if everybody else is playing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything's trending in the right direction. So just wanted to make that note. And then uh, before we get going here, we got a really good interview before we get to that, man, guess what time it is. It's almost time. (laughs) You know, the offseason's never fun, but one of the highlights of the offseason is when these college football preview magazines hit the stands mm. and the Athlon Sportsbook is coming out. It's officially hitting the shelves June 2nd, <laughs> but I talked to my guy over there, Stephen Lassen, Athlon Stephen. He says, you know, they're going to start trickling out a lot sooner, particularly if you go to the Athlon Sports web online store and order that magazine. Stephen Lassen is going to join the show here probably next week, right before the magazines hit. But before we get to Stephen, I didn't want to make this note because Athlon Sports has revealed their top 25 for the tw- for the upcoming season. Now it's important to note this is this is not you know the preseason top 25. They rank one through 25, and these are our projections of where these teams will be ranked by the end of the season after all the games are played. Does that make sense? Say that one more time. (laughs) So their their top 25 that Athlon puts out? Yeah. Instead of just a, you know, preseason one through 25, no games are played. Right. They put out a top 25 and then say, this is how we think the rankings will look at the end of the season when all the games, even the bowls, even the national championship has been played. Okay. All right. I like that. So they're projecting where the season's going to play out. And they only have six teams finishing being the season ranked from the SEC. Alabama, number two. Florida, number six. Georgia, number seven. LSU, number eight. Texas A&M, number 11. And then the last team here, Auburn, number 13. So big Tennessee homer, no Tennessee ranked by the end of mm. the year. What are your thoughts on those rankings? Who they got number one? Clemson. Clemson number oh. one. Oh. Dabo Hickory Dickory docking there. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I mean, 
don't get me wrong. That many teams in the top 10 is awesome. Uh, obviously, this is – you're. I mean, there's so much going on. You don't even know – these rosters ain't even tied up by then. So, uh, But, man, this is the holy grail of books, man. You remember when this thing hit the shelves? It was like, oh, baby, we're getting close. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I remember you used to get that book and put in the players' names when you got the NCAA football, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> it's just – you know, I, I'm I'm pumped up. Uh, you know, I if if we have that many teams in a, in the top thirteen, I think that's a that's going to be a hell of a year for the SEC, man. What are the odds Tennessee is not ranked by the end of the season, according to you? Odds that they're not um, zero. Is that not? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, you know me, man. I think we're going to win it all, but. Uh, uh, well, you know, I, I don't know. I, it all starts with Oklahoma, man. I think we beat them. I, I think we're a top 25 ball club. I think we sneak in at the tail end of the season. I also think, and I understand why they wouldn't rank him, I guess, but Kentucky, I would probably put in there. And then on mm-hmm. the outside looking in, I think potentially we're talking Mississippi State and Ole Miss too because, hell, if you win seven or eight games in the SEC, and I think both those teams, depending on – how they adjust to their new head coach could be in the yeah. running. So I think there's going to be a little bit more teams here than Athlons has currently got projecting. So that's something we'll talk with Steven Lassen when he comes on the show. But just wanted to offer uh, those rankings from Athlon. Can you, can you read those one more time? Yes, sir. So Alabama, number two. Mm-hmm. Florida, number six. Georgia, number seven. LSU, number eight. Texas A&M, 11. And Auburn, Number 13. Okay. Man, we're going to have a hell of a year, man. So, I mean, if that happens, just think about how many great games we're going to be watching, you know? Yeah, I mean, and I think that's the the only reason you don't have a team like a Tennessee or a Kentucky Mm -hmm. potentially ranked because you're you're saying they're going to face four or five (laughs) top 13 teams, you know? It's like it's a damn murderer's row, and then you don't even throw – you got to include non-conference game. You know, Oklahoma's here, number four, so – I mean, there's potential landmines all over this thing. Well, I'm thinking, well, even just the rest of the SEC, you got Georgia, you know, going against Alabama. You got Georgia playing Auburn. You know, you've got Georgia playing Florida. So here, here's three of the, the top 13 teams that they're going to be playing. So I, I think every Saturday is going to be lit, man. Absolutely. A kid saying that these days? Lit? Is that still a thing? <laughs> I'm getting lit with this bloodline. <laughs> hey, one other thing. I wanted to uh, mention this just because I saw, you know, other people putting these out there. So I wanted to give us, you know, the listeners our own rankings before we get to our interview here. Mm-hmm. SEC coach rankings for the 2020 season. And I saw, you know, where I first saw this was, uh, it was this morning actually from CBS Sports. And they ranked theirs. And I got to take issue with kind of how they did it because they put Nick Saban number one overall and they're listing out all his national championships and all this. But the way I look at these rankings, I know this is difficult, but I don't think you study so much, you know, everything these guys have done in their past. I think you got to look at what they bring right now heading into the 2020 season. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, what in the hell is the point of doing this? You're just looking at these guys' career rankings and you can kind of rank them by who's got the most wins. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So right. that's kind of the way I like to look at these. Any kind of rankings is I kind of like to project them moving forward. 
And so let's rank some SEC coaches. What do you think about that? Let's do it, Mike. All right, so we're going to rank the SEC head coaches heading into the 2020 season. And, you know, these are very subjective. You know, no one's ever going to agree, especially when you're ranking 14 coaches. The way I like to do it is who would I take to win a game if my life depended on it heading into 2020 season. And Shane, how do you look at it when you rate these coaches? (laughs) Same thing, man. Just everybody's got the same roster. It, you know, it's, I don't want you to get caught up with, you know, this team could beat this team, but we're talking neutral field, neutral players. Just you're taking all that out. You're just doing X and O's. Who's going to be the coach? Who's going to motivate your team? Who's going to get them prepared to win? That's how I decide who is the best coach uh, in this situation. So, like you said, very subjective. You're going to see this list, and you're going to say, what the hell was Shane thinking? But take (laughs) your team out of it. Take your roster out of it. If I'm going – uh, to play on Saturday as with this guy at the helm, am I going to win or do I have a better chance of losing? That's that's how I look at uh, ranking coaching. All right, well, let's start at the bottom here. Number 14, in my opinion, and I think this is an easy one. We'll see if you agree here, Shane. But just based on the fact, never seen this guy as a head coach, I got to give it to my man Sam Pittman at number 14 with, I will say, He's obviously got the biggest opportunity to jump up this list in a year's time. <sighs> Interesting, man. Um, I, I have Sam down there, but not at the bottom. Um, actually, I have Derek Mason at the bottom mm-hmm. just because mainly what they did last year. You know, we, we talked about uh, the, the three-headed monster that they had brewing up there, and they, were, they weren't able to get anything done with it. Uh, the, in fact, I felt like Derek Mason's strongest attribute is defense, and it felt like it also took a step back. So uh, last place, I've got Vanderbilt. i got Sam right above it. Okay, well, yeah, so there we go. Um, we're not that far off because I got Coach Mason for the same reasons for, as you, except I got him number 13, just not very impressed with the direction of Vanderbilt and if they had more more commitment to winning, I don't even know if he'd be the coach right now. And and, and nothing against Sam. It's just again, he's never done it. So how can I, you know, justify put the only the only reason that I have him above Derek Mason is just like I said, I felt like he took that that program a step back last year. And I think uh, motivation alone, just listening to coach talk can get your boys to pump up and play at a 10. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I've got Sam. And I think Sam has a, a, a definite I mean, we may look at this chart at the end of the year and say, you know, man, we were way off on Sam, or we may say we were dead on. So uh, we just don't know because he's never done it. So that's why I've got Sam uh, at the 13 spot. All right, I'm ready to piss off some fans here. (laughs) I got number 12, Will Muschamp, South Carolina. Guy just, you know, he's an elite recruiter, but – he just loses too many damn games he shouldn't, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm still trying to figure out how they beat Georgia last year. He's always got a game or two in him that he's no chance they're going to win. They pull it off, but then, hell, he'll lose two or three he shouldn't lose. So, Will Muschamp's got to get that cleaned up. That's why he's my number 12 right now. <laughs> number 12, man. Well, I'm not far. Again, we're one off here. 
at my 12th spot, I've got Auburn coach Gus Malzahn. <laughs> and uh, you talk about pissing some people off, Mike. Here it comes. Again, similar to the Vanderbilt situation, this guy's had the talent. You know, he's had the talent to to be the best team in the West. And it, it feels like his own play calling, his own judgment calls have hindered the development of his ball squads. You know what I'm saying? And, and you look at the quarterback situation alone, just what they've done at the quarterback since Cam Newton has been ridiculous. So at this spot, I've got Gus Malzahn. Uh, I did like the offseason hires that he made this year. I like the fact that he's going to be doing a little bit more delegating. Uh, I've been on on record talking about, uh, you know, this could really help the Auburn squad. But what I've seen in the past, and, and I hate to say it, man, you got a national champ right here. I just think Gus Malzahn is not a good coach. Remember, Auburn fans, he's Big Orange Vols on Twitter. Don't <laughs> tag me on, on that. <laughs> All right, number 11 for me, Eli Drinkwitz, new Missouri coach. Again, he's another one that could shoot up the list here. But we only got one year of him coaching. But it was an outstanding year. And, hell, he beat Will Muschamp head-to-head last year with a inferior roster, I would say. So that's why I got Coach Drinkwitz above Will Muschamp. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got Drinkwitz. Uh, wait, I got no. Did I already say Muschamp? Oh, I got Muschamp right here. And, and again – I was really high on, on Muschamp for a long time, and it just felt like we've hit our ceiling with what he's able to do there in South Carolina. You know, he wasn't able to do it in Florida. Apparently, he's not going to be able to do it there in South Carolina. Now, I, I feel like this is a make-or-break season, but if I'm going into a game at this point, at this moment, with the games I've, I've seen him lose in the past, I, I'm just not willing to put him at the helm. So that's why I've got Muschamp there. i got Drinkowitz right above him. Uh, you know, I don't know much about this guy, but what I do know is he was able to put Appy State on the map. He was able to beat Muschamp. So that alone makes me put him in front of Will. You hear that noise? That's the Lane (laughs) Trade. That's who I got. Number 10, Lane Kiffin. You know, another one that probably going to rise up these ranks fairly soon, but, you know, he did a good job at FAU, but. You know, he had the keys to the castle there at USC and drove that damn thing off the cliff. So I've still got a lot to see from Lane Kiffin to think that he's going to be inside, you know, the top 10 range of SEC. Well, I got him number 10, but inside that figure, uh, that's why I got Lane Kiffin number 10. How about how about you? Well, Mike, if you're pissing anybody off, I might as well piss a few off myself at number nine. We're going down to College Station, and we're picking on a highest-paid man, Jimbo Fisher. You know, this guy is getting paid bank, and he has not been able to do anything with it. Now, the recruiting classes have been coming in. You know, a lot of people are talking about this is the year. You know, so I I don't want to officially judge him, but I will tell you this, Mike. If Texas A&M does not get this thing rolling this season – there's going to be some hot seat talk, man. I, I think this is a make or break season, but what I've seen Jimbo, what I've seen from him in the SEC so far, I'm not willing to move him higher up on this list. I just haven't seen the development bump that I was expecting when he came in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's one of the tougher ones to to rank, in my opinion. 
I got a little bit higher, so we'll get to him in a minute. But for me, number nine, I've got Jeremy Pruitt. They finished with a bang last season, but they started with a dud. We've seen that two years in a row. And he obviously doesn't have a long tenure as a head coach. Again, another guy with a lot of room for improvement could shoot up this list. But I think I'm going to need a little bit more to see a little bit more from Jeremy Pruitt before I got him any higher than number nine. Uh, So who's your number eight, coach? Uh, All right, Mike, number eight. I think this is where it gets muddy, man. I think here in the next three, four, five spots, you know, you can – I mean, you're really – you're really just nitpicking at this point. So I think I'm going to go with, man, I just, I can't go with Lane. I just think what he was able to do with FAU, I'm going to go up a little bit. Oh, Mike, man, this is going to piss some people off. But I'm just being honest, Mike. Kirby Smart has been a disappointment coaching-wise. Now, again, we're not talking about recruiting. We're not talking about, uh, you know, I mean, you could say wins and losses, but with the amount of stars that he has on that roster, there should be more W's, man. There should be national championship rings, if you ask me. I I think Kirby has done an excellent job firing up this Georgia department, but I I feel like he's leaving meat on the bone every single year. And I I don't know if it's more to do with his coaching or more to do with his hiring. Uh, You know, he's, he's, he's had some questionable calls, uh, as, as far as staff members and but one SEC championship that's all we have and that's not enough Mike this this program deserves more this this program should like I said should already have a national championship ring uh, so if I'm going in to a game and it's neutral I, I I'm not I gotta put Kirby at the eight spot man all right, once again, Georgia fans, he is at <laughs> Big Orange Vols. Do not tag me in these uh, posts that are well, I mean, think about it, Mike. How can you, as a Georgia fan, okay, just uh, take take the Tennessee homerism out for a second. You're sitting there as a Georgia fan. You're watching these number one recruiting classes, and you can't get over Saban. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You can you, you you the only time you were able to win an SEC championship was when Auburn snuck in. You know what I'm saying? So it just feels like you're you're I don't know if he's nervous during these games. I don't know <laughs> if 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 I don't know if things tighten up, but there there were some games last year. I think the Notre Dame game, I thought that was a joke that should never have been that close. The Kentucky game should never have been that close. The South Carolina game should not have been a, a loss, man. You know what I'm saying? That's not you I can understand if you're a first-time coach, but we're not ta- Kirby's not a first-time coach. He has elite talent and he's not been able to take it to the next level. And and I think that has more to do with him than the players or the coaches around him. Some fair points there. All right, number eight on my list, Gus Malzahn, a little bit higher, well, much higher than you got him. You know, it's hard to – he did beat Nick Saban, but kind of like I said on the last show, he turned around and loses to Minnesota in the Big Ten version of Butch Jones. So just don't know – you know, it's tough to rank Gus because he'll give you something good and then he'll fall on his face. So, Mm -hmm. But he's also been in the SEC – I think as long as any coach at the same school than anyone other than Nick Saban and the thing's not falling apart on him. So he is a very good coach, just a little too inconsistent for my taste. 
That's why I've got Gus number eight in my SEC rankings. Well, how about you? Let's go to number seven. Who you got at that number seven spot? Number seven. We're going to the lane train. <laughs> now, I know everybody's going to say, I can't believe you put lane above Kirby. But let me say this. You know, I, I had firsthand. We both had firsthand knowledge of what Lane Kiffin can do with talent. I mean, when he was there at Tennessee in 2009, that was not a seven and six ball club. I'm telling you right now, that team under Butch Jones would have won two games. You know what I'm saying? That there was, there was not a lot of talent, but what he was able to do with the talent is kind of like Nick Saban ish. You know, he was able to take players that were good and get them in spots to make plays. I think he's going to be able to do that with Ole Miss. I think, you know, if I'm on a neutral site, neutral neutral field, neutral players, I think he's going to dial something up to get that victory. He's, I think he's a hell of a coach. Now, he's not killing it in recruiting right now, but that's not what we're determining in our coaching staff. I'm taking uh, Lane at what number are we, seven? You are at number seven. Seven. I'm going to take Lane at seven. Hell, he went down. Do you remember that? We were were a field goal away from beating Alabama in their prime. So um, the guy's a hell of a coach. Now, I I hope he's able to duplicate what he was able to build down there in FAU, uh, there in Ole Miss, and I think he will be able to. And I think we're going to look back and say, you know what? Lane does belong in the SEC. Mm -hmm. All right, my number seven, also a first-year coach, Mike Leach. You know, I think Coach Leach, he's been doing it for long enough. I mean, we can't – at no point can we doubt this man anymore. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. he he's done it in the in the SEC as a coordinator. He's done it at, you know, Division two level. And then he turns around, he's done it in the Big 12. He's done it in the Pac-12. I mean, we're going on 30 years of his offense being so damn effective that you see Mississippi State throw out all these stats. I think uh, the last 20 years or so, he's – a across the board, you know, most 500-yard passers, most 400-yard passers, on and on and on. And there's a reason the NFL is going to this air raid offense because it doesn't seem to matter who Mike Leach has. He is producing quarterbacks and receivers and all this. And now he's in the SEC. Now he's going to be working with better players. I think, you know, it's not going to come overnight, more than likely, but I think he's going to – you know, we're going to see some of that magic they had when they were in the prime of the Dan Mullen era where Mississippi State could be just about anybody. I think Mike Leach has the potential to take Mississippi State there again. Absolutely. Well, Mike, I'm going to go number seven spot. You're on six. Six. Number one in my heart. I'm going to go uh, Jeremy Pruitt here. And obviously – I don't know if it's the orange tint, Mike, but I think things are looking up. Uh, what we what we were able to do last year, I, I think you know, it made you feel a little bit better, you know, because that's one thing we haven't had is the development. And, I, and we're talking X's and O's. Maybe I should have moved Pruitt down because there were some bonehead plays. Now that I think about it, but you know, is it is it too late to move? No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to do that. All right. Maybe you can cut that out. I don't want to sound like I hate my coach because I love Jeremy Pruitt. And that, I think now that I'm looking at it, I let that orange let him get a little too high, Mike. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I got you. All right, Mike. Yeah, can we move? Can we move him back? Where, can we move him down just a little bit? Sure. Where would you? Two where spots. Would you like him? Move him. Uh, 
Oh, who do I got? You uh, got Lane Rob- Kiffin, number seven, Kirby Smart, number eight, Jimbo, number nine. Okay, put them between Jimbo and Kirby. Okay. Yeah. That, that At least Georgia won't be as mad at me. <laughs> but don't get me wrong. I think Pruitt, what he was able to do toward the end of the season last year showed showed promise, man. You know, showed showed all the fans that uh, that you know there are better days ahead for the University of Tennessee. But you lost to Georgia State, you know, and I hate to keep bringing that game up, and a lot of people are going to bring it up, but you, your program should never lose to teams like that. And and he was that that came down to coaching, something he wasn't able to do. Of course, he is a first time coach, and he's you know it's just he's you know he's getting his legs under. But you know at, at this moment, if we're X and O's, that's that's a good spot for Jeremy. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Now let's get to number six on my list here. Jimbo Fisher, and I know you got him a little bit lower, but I think even people are going to be surprised by where I have Jimbo because I've seen some people list Jimbo as the number two coach in the SEC, and I don't really know where they're getting that outside of, I mean, he was outstanding at Florida State, and I'm not suggesting that he's been bad at Texas A&M. I think he's definitely got them trending in the right direction. The recruiting has picked up, but here we are going into year three of a coach making $75 million. And we're still searching for that signature win, in my opinion. I mean, I know they beat LSU, but took damn eight hours to do it and a bunch of overtimes. (laughs) And I don't know if I really count that as a signature win. And it wasn't last year, you know? Right. And it's almost, you know, they're still yet to take that next step forward. So I think he's building, you know, his his hype is kind of off what he's done in the past, not necessarily what he's done now. Texas A&M, I'm very high on them coming into the year. So, you know, he's one that could rise in these rankings, but it is interesting. You know, his one national championship, most people know this, but the defensive coordinator was Jeremy Pruitt. So mm-hmm. we're seeing some star potential here from Jeremy Pruitt. So maybe that had more to do with Jeremy Pruitt than it did Jimbo Fisher. You know, <laughs> at this point, you got to give credit to Jimbo Fisher. But as, time, as more time goes on, if Texas A&M stumbles next season and Tennessee is – surprises I think there's gonna be more and more people saying well hell maybe that was more Jeremy Pruitt than anything else (laughs) all right yeah top five SEC coaches where are you going number five Shane number five we're going down to LSU coach O now I obviously he's I'm a huge fan of coach O so I don't I don't want to get get that sidetracked but we're talking I don't know. Like, Gocho, it seems like, would be an excellent hot man. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to get all your team ready to go. But if it gets down to the fourth quarter and you need to dial something up, are you are you leaning – are you calling Coach Ed? Is he your lifeline? You know what I'm saying? I, I just I, – I think Coach O had a hell of a team last year. I, I think LSU's going in a hell of a direction. I think they're going to be fantastic. But – I just think the stars were also lined up a little bit, Mike. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think the the play calling alone uh, helped LSU. I think the fact you had a Heisman quarterback, Joe Burrow, probably one of the best to ever come through the SEC. I, I think you know you're gonna. This is a team that was built to be talked about for decades, just like Tennessee in '98. Everybody's gonna be talking about LSU, and, and you know, in, in 2019. You know what I'm saying? So the 
that's kind of the stigma they have. And I want to give Coach O more credit, but I, I'm just not willing to do it. And if we're playing X's and O's, neutral side, uh, love the guy, but I, I, I got him at the fifth spot. You're going to see that how big of a mistake that is coming up shortly here. Number five on my list, I've got Kentucky's Mark Stoops. I think this guy's done an outstanding job, and it's kind of hilarious to people that don't seem to follow Kentucky football who think this is some kind of fluke. They won 10 games two years ago, won eight last year without a damn quarterback in the SEC. <laughs> Let me say that again, without a quarterback in the SEC, still won eight games. I mean, he's doing one hell of a job there at Kentucky, and there's no shame putting him in the top five. And that's this is what I'm talking about when I'm comparing him and a guy like Jimbo Fisher where he's getting it done. Yeah. I and mean, Jimbo Fisher is is not quite on that level here the last year or two. So that's how I'm looking at these rankings. That's why Jimbo is outside my top five and Mark Stoops is right there. And Mark Stoops, uh, he's my four spot. Let's just okay. carry on to this one. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, just the fact alone, he didn't have a quarterback last year and was still able to, to you know, to make it to a bowl game. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. This this, but it's not just last year, Mike. You know, it's it seems like every year Kentucky's finding ways to win games they shouldn't. You know, they're they're going into environments that they're supposed to get blown out. They he's he's changed the the culture up there, man. And I think as much as 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 I like Georgia right now, if you were to give Mark Stoops Georgia's team for a year, let's say. Not last year's, but maybe the year before. I think they, I think they would have won that national championship, man. I, I just think he's that good of a coach because he, similar to uh, to Lane, similar to to Saban, he's able to take what he is good at and amplify it times a million. That's something that Mark Stoops and and a lot of people don't know. You know, a lot of people still think of Kentucky as that 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 little brother up north, you know what I'm saying? But Mark has changed the culture up there and that he's just he is a hell of a coach. Kentucky's lucky to have him, man. Hell yeah. All right, number 4 on my list, Dan Mullen. I think he's done an outstanding job. You know, his record wasn't necessarily Flawless there at Mississippi State. I think he even had a losing record in conference play there. But, hell, that's a very, very tough school to win at when you're talking playing in the nation's toughest division with the dynasty that is Alabama and all these schools Mm -hmm. around them. I mean, so many disadvantages for Mississippi State in that time period. Yet Dan Mullen always had that team ready to play, and they he's done the same thing at Florida, better resources. Now he's got them already as an SEC contender, national championship contender coming into 2020, in my opinion. So Dan Mullen's at that four spot for me. Top three for you, Cousin Shane. Who's your number three, Coach? Number three, we're going with the Pirates. Uh, I love Mike Leach, and I hate that he's uh, off social media. Of course, we'll talk about that here in the interview. But again, coaching, man, you're you're playing your best friend and you've got to dial something up. You gotta draw something in the sand. You're gonna tell me that you won't want you don't want the pirate back there orchestrating a play. I just think when it comes down to fourth quarter and you need that 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 you know third and eight, Mike Leach is gonna have 
five plays to choose from. So uh, I, I have followed him from uh, from Washington down to Texas. The, the guy is a mastermind when it comes to offense play calling, uh, but he has not. He's, he hasn't done it in the SEC as a head coach, so that's that's why I don't have him higher on those lists. But I think uh, I think Mississippi State's lucky to have this guy, and uh, I think here in a couple of years you're going to see some more records being broken. Mm-hmm. Okay, number three on my list, Kirby Smart. I'm just going to piss Shane off there, but I <laughs> I know there's games they probably you know shouldn't have lost that they have, but really love the direction of that Georgia program. You know, I'm not going to guarantee Georgia's going to win a national championship on a Kirby Smart, given you know the failures of that program in recent history. But I am going to say I'm about 98% sure that Georgia will win a national championship on a Kirby Smart. He's just got that thing rocking and rolling to such an extent, and they're always in the conversation. That's if you're not winning the national championship, that's the next best thing. And the direction of that program, I think they're going to be in that picture for years to come. So eventually they're going to chop down that tree, I think. And that's why I got Kirby Smart at my number three spot. And I've got at the number two spot, their little buddies down in Florida, Dan Mullen. (laughs) And let me ask you, Mike, because it's interesting you've got Kirby that high. If, If the roles were reversed, if, if Dan had George's team last year, and Kirby had Florida's. Who do you think is going to win that ball game? Kirby Smart, man. He's 2-0 against him. <laughs> yeah, so you think Florida would have won if, if if Kirby was coaching in Florida? You know, obviously I'm a big fan of Dan Mullen here. I've got him number four and Kirby number three, so there's not a huge separation. But I don't know. It's interesting because it's very easy to look at Dan Mullen and say he's a better game day coach. Yeah. Yet – these Florida Georgia games, I know maybe the talent, you know, there's been a separation there, but they always have two weeks to prepare for one another. And it just seems like Kirby's got his guys ready to play. Whereas, you know, it's not the Dan Mullen doesn't, but I don't know. It there's often times where Georgia's kind of stumbling into that game here recently, yet when they show up for this one, they're ready to play. So that's coaching in itself as well. So yeah, there's not much separation there between Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen. They're they're neck and neck, but considering Kirby Smart's 2-0 and against him here recently, whooped him pretty good there at Mississippi State. I know that's you a know, completely different story because, like I mentioned, the disadvantages there at Mississippi State compared to Florida. But, yeah, until Dan Mullen beats him, I, I've got to put him behind him. See, that's, I think that's why I got Dan so high. I mean, just what he was able to do at Mississippi, Mississippi State alone – was impressive, but to come into a Florida situation that that McElwain destroyed, I mean, absolutely just, I mean, gutted that program. And since he's been down there, he's 21 and five, man. And, you know, and it feels like every year there is improvement. That, that tells me you got a good coach. And I think the talent is starting to rise, which scares teams in the East, like Georgia, like Tennessee, like just everybody, uh, because nobody wants Florida to be good again. And I think they got a hell of a coach. If they can get the recruiting down, if they can, I mean, if that would be the perfect storm. But the, again, that's not what we're judging this criteria on. We're, we're judging on X 
X's and O's. And what Dan was able to do with this team, I mean, think about it. What he did with them last year with a backup quarterback that never had a start, a collegiate start. You know what I'm saying? That's the type of coach that Dan Mullen is. You got kids leaving schools to come play with him because they miss that mentality. You got Colin Hill out here talking about Dan Mullen. That's that's the kind of coach he is. And I, it scares other teams at ease, myself included, because I want the Vols on top. But I, I, think, I think Florida's got a hell of a coach down there. We wanted him. You know, he wasn't an ace recruiter, but uh, if they do get some some stars down there, watch out, buddy. Dan Mullen and the Florida Gators can win another national championship sooner than later. Shane, you want to you want to know how good of an argument you just made? How good? I'm flipping it. I'm flipping it. <laughs> You're right. Dan Mullen, number three on my book. Kirby Smart, number four. I flip flopped those two. <laughs> like I said, I'm, I'm. This has got to be looking forward. Yes. And Kirby did get the better of Dan Mullen in the last two years, but I, I don't think you can argue he had the better roster. So you're you're 100 spot on there. I'm, I'm flipping that. Now keeping with that logic, number two, Nick Saban for me. Mm. I think his best days are behind him. I've said that time and time again. He got out coached by Gus Malzahn. He got out coached by Ed Orgeron. Hell, I thought he got outcoached by Jeremy Pruitt last year. Nick Saban falling off my list here to number two. And I know he's your number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why do you got Nick Saban as the best in the SEC right now? Oh, man. I mean, he's he's done it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He went to LSU. He won national championships. He goes to Alabama. He wins national championships. And, you know, this ain't the – it's like the 50s and 60s, man, when you could just run streaks. You you don't do that in this day and age in college football. It's hard to have a dynasty in, in the 2000s, you know, and that's something that, I mean, he just, he changed the culture of college football, man. It, it wasn't, you know, I, I hope we win the national championship. It was, I hope we beat Nick Saban. Think about all the great coaches that we've got on this list that were, you know, pupils underneath Coach Saban. You, I mean, I, I I mean, you're going to look back 30, 40, 50 years from now, and you're going to talk about the greats, you know. Everybody's going to mention uh, uh, the Bear Bryant. You know, everybody's going to mention General Nealon. You know, there's a lot of great head coaches that have come through college football. But I still think at the end of the list, you're going to talk about Nick Saban and what he was able to do for the University of Alabama. Mm-hmm. Well, number one on my list it's the only name I haven't mentioned. Ed Orgeron. And I'm surprised you didn't have Coach O a little bit higher. Listen to this stat, Shane. 11-1 and one in his last 12 against top 10 teams. 11-1, mm-hmm. and one, top 10 teams we're talking here. Ed Orgeron is on the top of his game. And I don't even know if he's getting enough respect. And I think some of it has to do with, obviously, his failed tenure there at Ole Miss. And... You know, you got. Let's go back two years ago, heading into the, you know, they when the season they went. What was it, ten and three? A lot of people thought, you know, that may be the last season for Ed Orgeron. I mean, they didn't have Mm -hmm. a quarterback. They were having to get this damn guy named Joe Burrow, who couldn't cut it at Ohio State. And if that was going to blow up in his face, everyone was pissed off that Texas A&M got Jimbo. You know, it was just not looking good for Ed Orgeron. But he's Mm -hmm. turned that damn thing around, and he's made. Many hires that I'm shaking my head wondering what in the hell is he doing. 
and they turn out to be, you know, genius moves. I think this man's on the top of his game, and that's a big reason why there's a lot of people think LSU is going to take a big step down next season. I don't think so. I think, you know, they're not going to go undefeated, I don't think, but I think there's, they're going to hover around 10 wins next season. So a lot of a lot of that has to do with Ed Orgeron. And, you know, maybe it's not X's and O's on game day, but it's the rest of the week, getting that team ready, getting them hyped in the locker room, putting his trust in the right people to do their job. That's that's part of coaching too. So I'm really high on Coach O right now. And based on everything we've seen the last year, I got to put Ed, Ed Orgeron number one on my list. I mean, think about that, Mike. You know what I'm saying? I I, I I get it. We're living in the moment. It's today. It's 2020. We're, we're coming off that fantastic season. But that's it, man. It's one season. You're, you're putting him above somebody like Nick Saban that has done it year after year after year. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? That, Nick Saban, I, I, what's his record? You got that pulled up? Against top 10 teams? Well, no, I mean, I don't have it in no. front of me, but, oh. hell, they lost to Auburn. They lost to LSU last year, yeah, you I know mean, what I mean? And then okay. got his ass handed to him by Clemson the year before. So, so you're picking, Ed, based off, like, today, right now. I guess that's kind of what we've been doing, neutral site games. Mm-hmm. Still, I just – I don't know. I just feel like Saban does have a few things, you know, in his back pocket that he's still going to find a way to win. And, and, you know, I'm sure there's a couple of games, LSU game in, you know, in particular, if, if, if they would have done a few things differently, we could have had a different outcome. And, you know, if some butts of candies nuts, we'd all have a wonderful Christmas, Mike. I understand that, but I'm just saying you're, it, it takes a fantastic game to get one over on Nick Saban. It takes sometimes a freaking miracle. You know what I'm saying? Think how many miracle Auburn games we've seen. That's they all are around Nick Saban. So I've, I'm still going to leave him up top, uh, even though I, I can't stand the man. I, I wish he would retire. He, I can't argue with the fact that he's a hell of a coach. What a Alabama homer you are. <laughs> and Coach O, I mean, you got to look. Think about the Ole Miss. Why, why are we leaving Ole Miss out? You know, what he was able to do in Ole Miss. Are you saying that he learned from Ole Miss? Do you think he learned that much? Or do you think he just had a hell of a ball squad last year? Oh, no. I think he's a completely different coach. Okay. And I think that comes with the experience. And I think, you know, we could be seeing the same type of deal from Lane Kiffin as well. Hey, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. All right, so we spent a ton of time on that, a little bit more than I thought we would. Um, Let's get to our interview here with Jake Wimberly, ESPN, The Zone, 105.9 FM, host of the Afternoon Drive. You can find him at Jake Wim on Twitter, the CFB Hourglass. Had to reach out to Jake because all these damn guys keep jumping into the NCAA transfer portal. Hell, we've already talked about Stuart Reese left for Florida. Now, Jerrion Jones, one of uh, Joe Moorhead's top recruits, has entered the portal. Looks like he's headed to Ole Miss. Fabian Lovett, that was the offensive lineman that left a, as soon as Mike Leach tweeted out uh, the, the news tweet that got him all in trouble. <laughs> this kid was supposed to go to FSU. Now, it's now he, you know, it's not official until he goes to school. He hasn't gone to school. Sounds like he's headed to Ole Miss. So there's a meltdown in the state of Mississippi. What in the hell's going on? Had to reach out to Jake Wimberly. He's given to give us the, the the lowdown right here. All right, we're pleased to be joined by Jake Wimberly. You can find him at 
Jake Wim on Twitter. And of course, he's been on the show before. He's the host of the Afternoon Drive on ESPN The Zone, 105.9 FM. And he also hosts a website, cfbhourglass.com. Thanks so much for joining us, Jake. I really do appreciate it. Mike, always appreciate you. Appreciate talk. It's always good to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we've got a lot going on in the state of Mississippi. So in my opinion, you're the best radio host in that state. So I, as soon as I saw this going on, had to reach out to you. What in the world is going on down there in Starfield with uh, all these players jumping into the transfer portal? Well, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, it's it's uh, got a little actually football drama to talk about and not so much, uh, you know, COVID-19 news right now, which I guess that's kind of a, uh, a great change, isn't it? But, I mean, when you look at it, for Mississippi State fans, maybe not so much. Mike, I think what you're seeing here in the state of Mississippi, obviously, anytime you have coaching changes, you're going to have attrition. Um, it just so happens that in the state of Mississippi, we've had two coaching changes in the two SEC schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Uh, and, of course, everybody's really familiar with the two coaches. It's it's going to put a, a light, a spotlight of sorts for the next, you know, say 10 to 12 to, to 18 months, depending on how the programs do with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and Mike Leach. Now, everybody is aware, or most everybody should be aware, of the, the tweet that Mike Leach put out um, that was portraying a lady uh, with a noose. And, and I don't think that there was meant to be any negative connotation over the tweet. That was back around the 1st of March or 1st of April. I can't remember all these weeks you're running together. But it was not taken kindly, and I totally understand why it was not taken kindly um, by many amongst uh, the football team and, and people inside the state of Mississippi. Uh, so Mike Leach, I don't believe, has tweeted since then. Uh, Fabian Lovett was the first to basically say, hey, I'm out of here. Um, and, of course, he's in the transfer portal, defensive lineman at Mississippi State, and we'll see where he goes. He's got Florida State listed amongst, I believe you could speak of this, maybe Tennessee. I know Ole Miss is on that list. Uh, and some others. We'll see where he lands. Now, Jerry and Jones, um, a, a defensive back right here in my backyard out of Northwest Rankin High School. Uh, I watched him pretty much grow up because I cover 6A football here in the state of Mississippi. Watched Jerry and grow up. High-level athlete. Really, really good athlete. Uh, he was one of the, the kind of the cheerleaders, so to speak, uh, for Joe Moorhead in his second class at Mississippi State. And, you know, every every coach loves to find that one recruit where they pretty much helped the, help the team recruit that cycle. Jerrion was that guy for that cycle. Um, he's a guy that could probably play both sides of the ball, played uh, both sides of the ball in 6A school, uh, 6A ball down here in the state of Mississippi. Uh, ended up on the defensive side of the ball, and, of course, it's up to you know whoever's next coach is to decide which, which, one of those, which side of the ball he can play. Regardless of that, he's leaving uh, Mississippi State. He put out on his Instagram account, I believe it was yesterday, a photo of him wearing an Ole Miss shirt. looks like he could be headed to Ole Miss. Um, so, you know, that kind of throws gas on the on the fire of Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Now, I don't want to get into a lot of rumors and speculation, but there are some rumors out there that, you know, Ole Miss is, is somewhat recruiting some of these guys. I mean, if and here's the thing, Mike, you know this. With the transfer portal now, we've hit such a, a different dynamic in college football in that if the word gets out that, you know, player x wants to leave then i mean you're probably going to have some some coaches that are are openly or at least trying to look to see gauge interest of kids so it it changes the dynamics of the recruiting process so there's some back and forth between some old miss and mississippi state people uh on campus and uh, we'll see what happens with this i mean you can expect uh recruiting battles have always been an issue and i say an issue and they've always been a hot topic let's call it that here in the state of mississippi between old miss and mississippi state 
And when you get a player from one school that's now openly saying, hey, I'm headed to the other school, there's going to be fireworks. Yeah, and you know, as soon as Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach got hired at their respective schools, it seemed like, you know, buddies from the Pac-12, this is first time it's going to be a cordial, you know, rivalry, if even if you could call it that with the Egg Bowl. But then all of a sudden you got, you know, I was also going to ask you this, because I can't recall a time where we've seen on either side two coaches flip to the other school like we have this offseason with Terrell Buckley and Deke Adams jumping from Mississippi State staff to Lane Kiffin's Ole Miss staff. I don't even know if Mike Leach was interested in having either of those guys retained, but I mean, I think that adds a little bit of intrigue to this because obviously they're going to have connections to guys like Jerry and Jones and Fabian Lovett. And you didn't even mention offensive lineman Stuart Reese there who left. Of course, I think that was just more to, to reconnect with Dan Mullen there at Florida. But, you know, this rivalry, it seemed like for a time was going to be died down a little bit. Did, do you think just the events of the last week is just going to heat this thing back up? Uh, yeah, probably so. I mean, you can only stay quiet in this rivalry. It's like Alabama-Auburn. It's it's like Florida-Florida State. I mean, pick a rival, Clemson-South Carolina. And I don't think that that means it's going to turn each and, and, and Kevin against each other. I, I think it's just nature, the nature of the beast and what is. And you bring up some good points there on the on Terrell Buckley and, you know, some assistant coaches that were – uh, on Joe Moorhead's staff now, they're on Lane Kiffin's staff and, and the connections that those guys absolutely have with some of these players. And look, I mean, let's 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 be honest. We know this. We're all adults here. I mean, people are going to take the incident with Leach on Twitter, and they're going to try to use it to their advantage. That's just the way the recruiting is. Recruiting at the surface, we love recruiting. You know, if you're a football fan in the South, uh, you love recruiting. Recruiting is somewhat of a dirty game that people play, and they're going to use – any kind of advantage that they can. I mean, it's, it's kind of like kicking dirt on the other person. So people are going to use this um, against Mississippi State. Not saying that they have in this instance, but they're going to use it definitely. And it's just going to be up to Mississippi State to try to kind of, you know, put put some sandbags in the, in the dam, so to speak, and, and get the thing straight. I mean, you know, there's some rumors out there and some other, you know, talk to people on campus that um, – there was some issues inside that locker room when Moorhead, you know, packed up and left. And not saying Jerry and Jones was one of those problems, but um, Mike Leach is just going to have to kind of weed through all this stuff and uh, continue to move forward. And look, Ole Miss is needing players. I mean, Jerry and Jones is a guy that they need help in the secondary. And if he does, in fact, go to Ole Miss, then that would help in the secondary. Same way with Fabian Lovett, they need help on the defensive line. So um, Ole Miss needs players just like Mississippi State needs players. And if they can get them down the road, then they'll probably try to get them down the road. I also wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, I've heard speculation that there's, you know, Mississippi State could try to turn Ole Miss in for tampering, if you want to call it that, you know, uh, because these schools are not allowed to actively recruit these kids until they are in the transfer portal. But if we're being real, I don't really know how you prove such a thing. And at the same time, you look across the country, we're seeing kids jump into the portal all across the landscape. And then in a day or two, they're committing to their new school. So, you know, there's a little – it's hard for me to believe that there's not tampering going on all across the – S. you know, not just the SEC, but the entire nation. But uh, do you think Mississippi State would have any kind of case of tampering against Ole Miss? And, uh, you know, at face value, this early in the game, with this thing still being real green, I don't think so. Um, but I don't know what the parties involved know, if that makes sense. I mean, that hasn't come out yet. I would say at face value, no – um, I have heard some of those same rumors too. Now, you know, the only thing for Ole Miss is, and I'm not saying they're doing it or they're not doing it. But again, we're way too early in the process here. Is they got to be real careful. I mean, they just come off the the heels of another NCAA investigation, 
And, you know, they had booster involvement with that and they had some, you know, some tampering, you know, everybody remembers the Ole Miss, uh, you know, letter of intent, notice of allegations. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it, it's out there. They've got to be very careful. The last thing Lane Kiffin needs is the NCAA in his, in his backyard, but you're right. I mean, th- this thing is going on everywhere. And I would, I would imagine with everything that's going on with the NCAA, we get into the, you know, the FBI and the basketball stuff that's been going on the last several years. Other football cases, um, you know, questions about the transfer portal, about dollars, about pl- play for pay, and all. I mean, the NCAA has so much going on. I don't know that they have or will will have enough people to monitor everything that's going on out there right now. Much less any kind of possible allegation or not, unless it's severe and it's state or Ole Miss or anywhere for that matter. Yeah, and you know what's interesting to me is right before all this transfer portal news, Mississippi State. At least you want to look at the recruiting rankings, doing very well. Ole Miss, dead last in the recruiting rankings. There was a lot of hype on Lane Kiffin when he was hired, obviously, and going into the previous National Signing Day, a lot of buzz that Ole Miss was going to flip some kids and all this and basically fell flat on their face. They finished 12th in the recruiting rankings. Inside that state, do you sense at all? I know it's very, very early. It may be too early for this, but any unease that uh, Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin is not recruiting that well. And, you know, I'm looking at the state's top prospects here. The number one kid committed to LSU, number four committed to FSU, and then number two ranked kid Isaiah Brever just recently released his top schools and Ole Miss, Mississippi State not even listed. So is that a concern at all to Ole Miss fans? I think probably a little bit. I had a chance to visit with some people in Oxford about 10 days ago and asked pretty much that same question. And, you know, they pretty much framed it up like this is, you know, Hey, Lane Kiffin, they've, they've, they've got obviously their board. They've, they've got contacts out with all these kids, like all these schools do. They're just waiting for, to get some of these guys on campus, hopefully this summer. Um, you know, if, if things allow, we'll see how the vote goes and what you can do and can't do through the, you know, this COVID-19 kind of release of new rules as, as, as we see this roll out here in the next 10 days or whenever it's coming out. But I, I think a little bit of worry, a little bit of cause for concern there, but you have to, you know, believe that Lane Kiffin again, um, he knows what he's doing. And, and, you know, while they're not in Mississippi state for that matter, they're not rolling up, uh, you know, Tennessee numbers or Ohio state numbers or some of these other schools in the country, North Carolina or others that they have a, you know, they have a board, they have a plan, but you're right. It is. So it should be concerning for both schools that, you know, this is a very deep class in the state of Mississippi high school guys this year, as far as skill position players and uh, Mississippi state, no miss both uh, somewhat have missed the boat on some of these players. But I mean, we've seen the state of Mississippi over the last four to five years, you can even go into say seven, always had really deep talent, but it's been exceptionally deep over the last few years. And a lot of these other schools have done a really good job outside the borders, you know, the borders of the state of Mississippi and coming in and developing relationships with these coaches and with these schools. And, and um, you know, this is a new breed of athlete that we see not just here in the state, but everywhere. And it's not all about staying home anymore. A lot of these guys, I mean, we've seen several, you know, Sadiq uh, Charles was right down the road from here uh, at Madison Regional Academy. He goes to LSU, wins a national title. Um, Cam Akers leaves the state of Mississippi, goes to Florida state. I mean, We've seen it time and time again. They're just going to have Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Leach and Kiffin both are going to have to kind of buckle it up and and get busy here in the state of Mississippi. All right, last question for you here, Jake. Just based on what you're hearing, and we've already seen quite a few defections already from Mike Leach's Mississippi State program, do you anticipate we see any more in the weeks to come? 
if I'm putting, let's just, let's have fun and say, if I'm going to put odds on it, I would say that you possibly could see, yeah, let's go, let's go 60%. You may see another player, maybe two. Um, but again, I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't. I mean, they've got it, you know, and it, this goes for every school. They need to get these kids back on campus, if at all possible, the safest, best way. Um, once they come up with a plan, get these guys back to working out on campus and kind of get their arms around their talent. You know, let's remember Leach and Kiffin, uh, much like a lot of these coaches, uh, Pittman at Arkansas and others that are especially new coaches, they haven't really had a lot of time, and nor would they until practice, but at least the strength and conditioning coaches to get their arms around their kids. So um, I wouldn't be surprised. I would say, you know, hey, let's, let's, let's throw it about 60%. Wouldn't be shocked to see another guy or two possibly walk out of the program before they really get going here in the next few weeks. All right, Jake, can you tell the listeners uh, what you got going on at CFB Hourglass and how they can find the radio show? Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, CFBHourglass.com. I just I love to toy and have done for a long time now with college football analytics, and that's pretty much what the site is built around. It's built around my version of college football analytics. There's a lot of great content from other guys on other sites and girls that do analytics. This is my version of it. And I've got win totals and conference projections out there right now. Uh, I'm working on some pieces on college football culture, how to define culture if there is a way to do it. And I think that you can do it through numbers. I've got the SEC West out, about to have the SEC East finished. That'll be published. So you can check out all that content there. And during the fall, I use it for gaming, uh, sports gaming here in the state of Mississippi and beyond. Um, just kind of a way to play Vegas. But uh, we've got that there. And then, of course, you can always uh, check the show out on ESPN Radio here in Jackson, 105.9 on the FM dial. You can always stream the show on the zone, 1059.com, or any of the, excuse me, platforms like I, uh, TuneIn Radio, uh, iHeartRadio app. We're on all of those platforms. And, of course, you can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search Jake Wimberly. All right, Jake, I really do appreciate it. You can find Jake Wimberly at Jake Wim on Twitter. And like I say, ESPN, The Zone, 105.9 FM, cfbhourglass.com. Thanks so much for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Anytime. We'll talk soon. All right, so uh, good stuff there from Jake Wimberly. Uh, I just want to say thank him again for hopping on the show, giving us some insight there. But, you know, just when you think things are calm and easy – Seems like it was about a week ago. I was on here praising the job Mike Leach has done in recruiting, wondering what in the hell Lane Kiffin's doing. Now yeah. we've reversed course, and there's meltdown, and I maybe because there's just not else much going on, but it just seems like no matter what, the state of Mississippi, one of my favorite states for football content, because these two always going back and forth. This truly is a 365-day rivalry, and now it's extended to Lane Kiffin, and Mike Leach going at it with these players. What what was your thoughts on that interview there with Jake Wimberly? That was awesome, man. And I could just, you know, when I think Ole Miss and Mississippi State right now, I think of that old game of flag, you know, where each side is is hiding their flags. And I could just see Lane Kiffin sneaking in there to Mississippi State. Of course, he wasn't sneaking too much. He's taking pictures and posting on Twitter. <laughs> but, you know, meeting some some locals, and next thing you know, some of the players are going to Ole Miss, and we're wondering what happened. Well, I'm telling you guys, Lane plays in that gray, and that's exactly what's going on. So this rivalry, man, I tell you what, that Egg Bowl, jeez, they're going to need extra police protection, it sounds like. Yeah, without a doubt. And, I mean, high school recruiting – Obviously, that's the lifeblood of your program, but I don't think you can really get that thing rolling until the results come on the field. So Mm -hmm. this might be a really smart strategy here by Lane Kiffin. 
because you know any of these guys that are transferring out of Mississippi State, they're probably going to be eligible because if they're not, they'll, you know, they'll have a lawyer, what have you, and say, you know, I, I don't know what they'll say, but of course they'll use the <laughs> news tweet as an excuse, whether they, you know, were offended or not. That's yeah. that's not for me to judge, but uh, that's gonna that's gonna be something I would imagine the NCAA is gonna turn down. We've seen that with kind of the Justin Fields situation. So, you know, adding experience and talent to that Ole Miss roster that I continue to tell people. I know they only won four games last year, but there's plenty of talent on that roster. Could have easily won six, maybe seven games. Now with a talent upgrade, maybe with a little bit better quarterback play, you know, Ole Miss all of a sudden could be a very, very dangerous team. And then it's only going to help them more if they're stealing some of Mississippi State's, (laughs) you know, up-and-coming players. So, man. Mike, Here's, here's what it is, dude. One of these teams are going to pop. You know it. I know it. it it's going to happen. It's either going to be Ole Miss or it's going to be Mississippi State. It's usually never both, okay? Seldomly we'll have like one pop in the top, both in the top 25, but typically it's going to be one of them. Who's going to be the most exciting team to play for in Mississippi? That's what it's going to boil down to. Then it's going to say, well, how can we keep the kids that are in Mississippi to come to our school, like you were talking about, three of the top recruits aren't even considering either one of these ball clubs. That's got to stop. You got to protect the borders, okay? If that team becomes fun, becomes exciting, Ole Miss could run with it. Now, the thing about Mississippi State, I really think Coach, we just talked about it, Coach Leach, I'm very high on him. I think he's a fantastic coach, but he's not a personable person. Okay, and and, and just think about just take football out of it for a second, Mike. You know that time when you went from middle school to high school and there were some other kids from another middle school and, you know, you're you're judging them. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) think about that. You see Lane, you're like, yeah, I could chew the fat with this guy. You know, we can hang out. And then you see odd, you know, collecting bugs in a jar, you know, (laughs) Coach Leach over here. Now he's he's smart. I may need him near test day, but I, I don't know if I if I want to hang out with him just yet. You know what I'm saying? And, and these guys are behind the eight ball because they don't have that something he talked about. Conditioning alone, putting your arms around them, you know, uh, getting them together as a team. All they are is a bunch of individuals right now. You know, I think it's going to help when these kids get on campus. I think Mississippi State will not lose any more players after June 1st. But until they could get them on campus, until until they can form that bond with Leach, which may be harder to do than it is with Lane, you know, you're going to see more leaving that school than you would Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a race to momentum, essentially, for those schools. Mm -hmm. Who's going to get it? And a lot of it may come down to that Egg Bowl in the 2020 season. Once again, it just feels awesome to talk some football, (laughs) moving on from all the garbage we've had to do, you know? And two, if they don't want to be there, Mike, get them out. I mean, you saw this with Arkansas. That locker room was divided, and it showed up on Saturdays. If if you have some players that are just – they love Coach Moorhead, they just can't get on with Coach Leach, maybe they don't like their new job, you know, because there's going to be some – I'm sure there's going to be some depth chart alignment. If, if they can't get along, get them out because it just becomes a cancer in that locker room. So, yeah, I'd rather them go now than later. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. That's uh, that's something you need. Everyone pulling in that same direction. And, you know, I think all this 
you know, potentially negative attention Mississippi State's catching. This is something we see across not only the SEC but the nation when Mm -hmm. coaching changes are made, players are inevitably not going to buy in and they're going to have to go elsewhere. And if they're not bought in now, you know, maybe they're better off going elsewhere. Maybe they're better off. Maybe the team they're leaving is better off because if you ain't bought in, you're just you're going to derail the the potential of the team next year. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Unless you got anything before we hop off here. Man, we talked a lot today, Mike. I, I just think I needed to talk to a friend. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm glad you all were here for me. And uh, let me get let me vent a little bit. I'm surrounded by women here at the house, so um, it's good to be on. It's good to talk football. This this whole NCAA thing popped up right before we got on so I, I i think i was a little extra amped uh so i'm gonna go wind down a little bit before bedtime mike and uh, i appreciate you and i appreciate all the fans yeah and, and keep an eye out for the sec they are going to be voting here in the days to come we'll keep you posted on that but c- certainly pointing in the right direction that's great news trying to be optimistic we've been keeping it that way the entire off season and it's paying off so thanks for joining me, Shane, Spielen. Uh, I can't wait to see the reaction from your coaching rankings. <laughs> and they... I may turn I may turn my notifications off <laughs> too much. So, but uh, I, I, again, the rankings. I mean, it's it's subjective. It, it, I mean, you're going to look at it a different way. You saw how high I had Pruitt, and then I got to thinking about it. All we were talking about was neutral field, neutral players. We need a coach. Who's it going to be? That's why we did our list this way. Uh, I, I'm pretty happy with it, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of folks online that are not. So I will be there to support them. All right, Shane. Well, thanks for joining me. As always, thank you, everyone tuning in. And remember, he's at Big Orange Balls. Do not <laughs> tag me on all this negative comments you got. Catch you on the next one. All right, see you guys. Go balls. You know, Kirby's not bad. <laughs>